You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. ISIS claims responsibility for the St. Petersburg Shopping Center bombing. UK authorities seek to think ahead about cyber terror. US standards bodies propose more stringent mandatory reporting of cyber incidents at electrical utilities. Unrest in Iran prompts a government crackdown on the internet. A YouTube celebrity learns something of the limits of the funny. And a Los Angeles man is arrested in a horrifying swatting attack that killed an utterly uninvolved bystander. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018. Happy New Year, everyone. ISIS, now effectively without a territory to call a caliphate, returns to its roots and claims responsibility online for the December 27th St. Petersburg supermarket bombing that wounded 14. Russian President Putin has promised a quick and ruthless response to future acts of terror. ISIS claimed responsibility on December 29th. Although ISIS has continued to show little ability to commit cyber attacks, a shortfall that contrasts sharply with its record of success at online inspiration. Policymakers in the UK mull approaches to defending against ISIS cyber attacks. The model from which they're starting is the British response to IRA terror in the late 20th century. The IRA used bombs. The possibilities authorities in the UK are now considering involve cyber attacks. The one being discussed for purposes of illustration involved the remote rerouting of commuter trains onto tracks where they would crash in lethal collisions. In the U.S., the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has proposed modifying reporting requirements that would make it mandatory for electrical utilities to report any attempted intrusion into a utility's networks, not just those that result in a compromise of critical operations. The proposed rule would require the North American Electric Reliability Corporation to submit modifications to its critical infrastructure protection reliability standards. Comments on the new draft rule will be accepted until February 26th. Current growing unrest in Iran seems driven significantly by Instagram and especially the secure messaging app Telegram. The troubles began last Thursday with street protests and some rioting. Authorities in the Islamic Republic are cracking down on Internet use generally and on Telegram channels in particular. The country's Information and Communications Technology Minister, Mohammad Javad Azari Jaromi, preceded the shutdown with a direct tweet at Telegram's founder, Pavel Durov. His tweet read, quote, A Telegram channel is encouraging hateful conduct, use of Molotov cocktails, armed uprising, and social unrest. Now is the time to stop such encouragements via Telegram, end quote. The channel in question is run by exiled dissident journalist Ruha Lazam, who denies fomenting violence, but who has published images of disturbances and planned times for demonstrations. 
But the nation's leadership is showing signs of hesitancy, with President Hassan Rouhani acknowledging that some allegations of corruption may have at least a partial point, even as he promises to punish those damaging property and defaming the Islamic Republic. The head of Iran's passive defense organization, Brigadier General Golam Rezda Jalili, on December 31st spoke about the country's cyber defenses as being its guarantor of security and independence against U.S. aggression, but Iran's capabilities seem likelier to be used domestically, at least in the near term. Those who recall the Green protests after the disputed 2009 elections will remember the role Twitter played in sustaining dissent, a false dawn of hope for both Iranian reform and positive grassroots social media interactions. Reports suggest that some 13 people have been killed in the disturbances so far. We close this first podcast of the new year, unfortunately, with two stories that turn on the familiar disinhibition that appears to seize people when they go online. Both stories are sad and tragic. One is also horrifying. The first story involves YouTube celebrity Logan Paul. Paul has some 15 million followers and produces content posted on YouTube's paid Red service. In the video that's attracted much adverse attention, Paul and some collaborators went to Japan's notorious Okigahara suicide forest, a place where many have gone to take their life in a search for a suicide. The video, entitled We Found a Dead Body in the Japanese Suicide Forest, was up for less than 24 hours before it was removed. The thumbnail image showed Logan Paul standing in front of a hanged man, his body blurred out. According to accounts in TechCrunch and elsewhere, as Paul stood beside the body, face still blurred, one of his collaborators expressed discomfort at the discovery of a suicide victim. Paul asked with a laugh, You never stand next to a dead guy? The video produced, predictably, an overwhelmingly negative reaction, although it seemed to take Mr. Paul by surprise. Paul retrospectively pleaded a misguided attempt to raise awareness of suicide in the hopes of dissuading others from taking their life, but few commentators seem to be buying that apology. He also said, truly enough, that he's human and makes mistakes, but pleaded overwork in mitigation. Quote, I've made a 15-minute TV show every single day for the past 460-plus days. End quote. Few seem disposed to accept that either. A sad case, perhaps, of the morally coarsening effects of living too much of a life online. The other tragic case is far more shocking and horrifying. The night of December 28th, a 28-year-old man, Andrew Finch, was shot and killed by a police SWAT team in Wichita, Kansas. The Wichita man was killed by police in a swatting that arose from an unusually pointless dispute among Call of Duty players, pointless even by the feckless standards of online gaming. He was not only innocent, but completely uninvolved. The alleged swatter has been arrested in Los Angeles. He's 25-year-old Tyler Barris. The local ABC affiliate, KABC, notes parenthetically that someone of the same name was arrested in Glendale for making a bomb threat against the station in 2015. Here's what's thought to have happened. Two people playing the online game Call of Duty got into a dispute over a buck fifty bet. One of them is said to have contacted Mr. Barris and asked him to swat the other. Swatting, for those unfamiliar with the term, is the practice of spoofing a call to 911 in order to have a SWAT team sent to an address to frighten the people who live there. The gamer is said to have provided an address in Wichita. The address had no connection with anyone involved in the dispute or even the game. 
Barris is alleged to have called Wichita authorities and told an elaborate story with fabricated details of a dangerous hostage situation that had already produced one murder. Police responded, and Mr. Finch was shot when he opened his door to see what the ruckus outside was all about. Those interested in more of the sad details can find a full account, which we recommend, at Krebs on Security. In the meantime, here's a New Year's resolution for all. Remember that online play and chatter can have the saddest kinetic consequences. Stay safe. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined by Yossi Oren. He's a senior lecturer at the Department of Software and Information Systems Engineering at Ben-Gurion University. He's also a member of BGU's Cybersecurity Research Center. Uh, welcome, Yossi. Uh, we want to introduce you to our audience and uh, just start with some general uh, introductory stuff. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you uh, came to be there at BGU. After I finished my PhD in Tel Aviv University, I went to uh, train at the Network Security Lab in Columbia University in New York. And I was very, very happy that when Ben-Gurion University in Israel were uh, building up their cyber center, they invited me to join. And I have joined there uh, two years ago. It's a wonderful place to be, and I'm very, very pleased to talk about the things we're doing here. 
we'll dig into some of the topics in uh, future segments, but what are the types of research that you uh, in particular are interested in? Okay, so my, my training is not actually in computer science, but rather in electrical engineering. Mm. And my kind of security research is what's called implementation security. And this is kind of a cheating way of doing security. So you might have a system which does encryption and has all sorts of protections and software. And if you're a really clever cryptographer or mathematician, uh, you might look at the math or the algorithms. You might look at kind of, you know, look at the source code and try to find some exploits or bugs. But what we do is we just uh, cheat. And that means that we take these devices. It could be a phone, it could be a sensor, it could be a computer. And we put it in environments where it's not really supposed to be. For example, we might heat it. We might uh, submit it to some vibrations. We might uh, put it some under some radiation. And when this happens, the device uh, malfunctions. And if we do it very gently, these malfunctions can tell us a lot about the device. Sometimes you don't have to really put it in the microwave. But you can really just listen very carefully, actually with a microphone, to the clicks or in, and buzzes the device is doing as it's processing all sorts of secrets, and you can learn all sorts of stuff. And it's fascinating because the implementation, the algorithm, could be completely perfect and, and, and secure and the best thing math, math can find, but the way you implement it uh, exposes you to all sorts of risks. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing from you. Welcome to the CyberWire, Yossi Oren. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.